0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, February 7th, 2019. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me, and nothing too significant on the court has happened since we last spoke, but the program that has won 14 consecutive Big 12 regular season titles in the news again. Kansas guard Gerald Vick taking a personal leave of absence from the Jayhawks. The statement from Bill Self. It reads this way, quote, LeGerald has some personal matters that require his immediate attention, end quote. There is no timetable for a return. It's unclear if he will return. So Kansas is going to be playing for at least a little while and possibly for the rest of the season without its second leading score and its third leading score. One of them, LeGerald Vick. The other, of course, Yedoka Azabuki. Norlander, please share your thoughts on this notable Big 12 development.
1: Kansas can be down to four eligible players, three of which are walk-ons, and I'm still going to wait and see that they don't win the Big 12. I'm, I'm not stepping off this. Uh, Gary Bedore, who covers the team locally, also reported Thursday night that he spoke with Vic's mother. Uh, Ladriel Vic is heading to your city, GP. He has been called back home for some sort of important, urgent matter uh, having to do with his family. Hopefully, um, it's all is not exceedingly terrible I, I who knows what the actual reason for him having to return to see his mother is at this point but clearly urgent enough where he is stepping away and kansas has just they have no more red shirts to burn. They don't have any depth. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, you hope that things are okay and okay quickly for Vic and uh, whatever he is going through. But from a basketball affected standpoint, that just you know the hits continue to come for Kansas, and more than ever. it, it I'll say this more than ever. Not only does it look like they're you know they're going to slip from the pack here in the in the Big Twelve, but if uh, if things really turn and they don't have Vic for you know two weeks, who knows if this is going to be three days, two weeks, three weeks? We don't know. Um, when you look at how they have performed without Azubuki and then if they continue to do so without Vic. Um, like they're not only they're not only going to be not on the one or the two line for like the first time in forever, but a three or a four is going to be suddenly a hard ask because uh, the losses just keep continuing to mount here and they got to prove they can win on the road.
0: You know, this is a team that was already two and four in its past six games, so they have not been playing well even with LeGerald Vick, and now you take him as an option off the table for at least a game, and, you know, at this point it's unclear how long. Um, I can't imagine how anybody could spin that into a positive. I will point this out only because it's true. Um, he did on Tuesday night in that loss at Kansas State play a season-low 19 minutes. I'm not telling you one has anything to do with the other, but I do think it's worth pointing out. Uh, this is happening uh, just two days after he played a season-low Nineteen minutes. Do you think one's got something to do with the other?
1: Maybe I can't speculate if it does, GP. But if you're a Kansas fan, and we know we have plenty of them that listen to the pod, and we thank you for that, uh, Jayhawks fans, you've you've supported a program here uh, that has had like just general roster issues almost annually. And you know we mentioned the Selby stuff recently, but you know there was also Check Diallo, Cliff Alexander. <laughs> I mean, you go on down the line. Just it's. Preston, absolutely. That was a season ago. I um
0: so there there's just really prob- I I mean I I this is something we could look up. We obviously didn't look it up, but like who has had more roster issues for stuff that doesn't have something to do with injuries than Kansas in recent years? Uh,
1: I I don't know, Parrish. Like is there a ma- is there a, I say major conference there would it would have to be, because frankly, like you just almost never see this so abundant. I mean, kind of as we record this pod, we've got to Washington, Arizona playing out. Like, Arizona's had dudes who were going to go to Arizona, and then they didn't and straight up didn't go to college. Don't know if you'd put that on the same page overall. Um, I don't think that there is one. Now, listen. We've got a very astute listenership and if there is a school that has had over the past decade you know five six seven and we just we can't call it off the top of our domes you'll let us know but it does feel like KU is is a comfortable leader in the clubhouse with this and in one respect it makes the the streak all that more impressive and the fact they always land with a one seat or two seat all that more impressive but you know a pattern is obviously established here and uh You know, though the reasons may vary, um, I think that some, in fact, I don't think I know that some coaches in the community uh, of college basketball, you know, they don't feel too much sympathy for as much as they respect Bill Self. They uh, they feel like Kansas might have been uh, getting away with some stuff here, there, wherever, for whatever means. And so now this is kind of the one season where it's all kind of just it's a huge pendulum swing back the other way.
0: Well, I will say, after the FBI stuff launched, as long as we're speaking honestly, um, I was talking to a coach who is friends with Bill. And that coach said, and this is before the Sylvia DeSouza stuff came out, I, I would say this was probably November, like first month of last season, right after the FBI stuff broke. And that coach was, I mean, what he basically said was, Listen, I love Bill, but I, you know, when is that school going to get roped into this stuff? Because everybody, and we've said this before, everybody was just waiting for Kansas to get roped into this one way or another. And then obviously the stuff came out in the federal trial. You had text messages with. Bill and TJ Gasnola. You had the Curtis Townsend wiretap. You had the D'Souza stuff. Um, so Kansas did ultimately get roped into it. But to your point about people not feeling, you know, sympathy for Kansas, um, that falls under the umbrella of yeah, right or wrong, and you know, fairly or unfairly, there was a perception in basketball circles that I'll just borrow your phrase that maybe Kansas had been getting away with stuff.
1: Yeah, and so and the Vic, I'm not, we're not saying the Vic stuff has anything to do with that. We don't know what it is, and by all from what we can tell, it's just it, it is truly a family matter. and Kansas isn't going to really release the details on that. Um, KU does have a get right game. We are not previewing Kansas's game uh, this weekend because it's a, it's at home against self's alma mater against Oklahoma State, and then they play at TCU Big Monday. I mean, then we'll wait and see if they can win that. I, I don't know. But they, they should ideally win. But they did actually have issues with OSU last season. Uh, we'll see. But this is one weekend where Kansas actually has played in uh, games of note for like three, four weekends in a row. This is one they, they are clearly zipping under the radar. The KU-OSU game wouldn't even make like a top 25 most intriguing list in what's a, a pretty solid Saturday in college hoops. Uh,
0: to update you on the Big 12 standings, uh, right now all alone in first place, Kansas State at 7-2. and two. Iowa State right behind them at seven and three then it's Baylor at six and three Texas Tech at six and four Kansas at six and four nobody else in the league above 500 the current Kimpom projections has Iowa State winning the league outright um, but as always um, we'll believe it when we see it because we haven't seen something like that uh, for 14 consecutive years so there are three games between top 20 teams this weekend we're gonna get to them next but first,
2: Ensuring you have everything you need in one place from LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing, to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account. Taylor brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor brands, LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS sports. That's T A I L O R B R A N D S.com slash CBS sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
0: So this is the first post-Super Bowl weekend of the college basketball season, and there are some great games on the schedule, most notably number 2 Duke at number 3 Virginia. Tip-off scheduled for 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. You can watch it on ESPN. Three weeks ago, these teams played inside Cameron Indoor. You might remember, I was there, Zion murdered Jay Huff. Now they're going to play again at John Paul Jones Arena, which sounds like it was named after Led Zeppelin wasn't named for a totally different dude norlander you're gonna be there on a scale of one to let's go how excited are you to be heading to charlottesville this weekend i am if
1: we're gonna go with the led zeppelin references uh on a fool in the rain is my number one zeppelin song so that is my level of excitement just for the game for sure gp uh, i'm very excited for that in a second here i do want your charlottesville tips if you have any uh but also just as a side note here i am an unabashed longtime uh dave matthews band hawk. charlottesville is where the band made its name and where they got big so i'm just excited to go to uh to the homeland so to speak for dmb and Dip my head into the famous bar that Matthews actually used to tend at when he formed the band, but I will not be going full blown fanboy tourist. I, uh, I have more self respect than that, but that'll be a cool thing. I'll try and squeeze in a little bit of time there for the game, though. Parish, we don't know. We are recording this Thursday night because you got to leave early to Reno, I got to leave early to Charlottesville. The status on Ty Jerome playing is still not known. It would be ironic if Duke did not having his point guard in the first matchup, then Virginia doesn't have his in the second. And uh, if Virginia was able to win the way that Duke was, we'll wait and see on that. But uh, Virginia's had a week off here between games, and hopefully that uh, Jerome's back is gonna is gonna stand up and be pretty decent. Um, fascinated by the game because of how good Duke's defense has continued to be. This is the best shot-blocking team in the country. It's the second-best stealing team in the country. And now with a healthy Trey Jones, it it does feel like it has the makings of, of a really great in-season game, just like a fantastic one. The first one was obviously so... So high quality, and you just you hope you do. I mean, to me, this feels like top five of the season without question. That you know, along with Duke and Gonzaga, Tennessee, Gonzaga, Duke, Virginia, version one, and whatever else you want to throw in there. Perhaps Tennessee, Kentucky, in a in a week from now will also qualify, but. Um, I guess I'll just lay my pick out here, even though we're going to talk about it a little bit more. I'll go with Virginia, because I think Virginia is the better team, and I'm going to pick them thinking that Jerome is going to play in the game. So I'll I'll, I'll ride Virginia to the tune of, say, like 68, 65, something like that. Uh, but I'm most interested to see if, you know, Zion Williamson in the toughest road environment he's had yet, how big of a game that he can he, will he have, and uh, will his success... And or R.J. Barrett's dictative Duke wins because they combined, I think, for 57 points and like in like 25, 30 rebounds the first time around. Uh, it's going to be hard
0: to replicate that in Charlottesville. My only Charlottesville advice would be go see my buddy Pete Gillen. You need to go see Pete Gillen, Coach Gillen. Okay. He lives I, in.
1: I don't know if he's going to be at his house on Saturday. Paris, though. like I would think he's going to be calling a game for CBS Sports Network or something.
0: Let me text him and find out. All right. If not, you go to his house. Just hang out with him. <laughs> I'll just kind, of,
1: just kind of pop in swing by that's uh, that sounds like a heck of you know a plan. What?
0: I've uh, I've never been to Charlottesville. Oh. It's one of one of the it's one of the great places that I've never actually been. Um I want to get there someday, but I've never uh, at this moment I've never been to Charlottesville, but it's uh, by all accounts uh, just a just an incredible place and so I'm sure you're going to have a great weekend there. As for the game, um these are the teams that are ranked first and second at Kenpom. Uh you think Virginia's better than Duke? I can see why you would. Um, I, I, I would just sort of settle a little below that and go, I, I think these are comparable teams. Like if you told me uh, they're going to play this weekend and then they're going to play in the title game of the ACC tournament and then they're going to play again either in the Final Four or National Championship game, all of that sounds very reasonable. Like when you're putting together a list of you know, four, five, six, seven teams that can win a National Championship, uh, people might differ on who you got five, six, seven but i think everybody would have virginia and duke uh, on on their list um i would i would take the home team just because i think they're comparable but you know keep in mind i think this is true every team in the country at some point this season except for duke and nevada have been an underdog and this will be the first time that duke is an underdog um, this season. They're projected by Kim Pom to lose by five. That doesn't mean they'll be a five-point underdog, but they are going to be an underdog uh, in Charlottesville against Virginia, which means uh, when we go to bed on Saturday night, wake up Sunday, the only team in the country that will have never been uh, projected to lose a game will be, I, I believe, Nevada. Um, and I think Duke is probably going to lose this game. Uh, I picked Duke at Cameron for the exact same reasons I picked Virginia at Virginia. When you give me comparable teams, I'll take home court advantage every time.
1: That's a really good stat. Um, if you would asked me to guess, I, I might have needed five or six to get to that. I do know Tennessee is the only team not to lose a game in regulation this season. It only has one loss, and it fell to Kansas. Every other team that has a loss did so in 40 minutes. It took uh, KU 45 to knock out UT. Um, but how about that? that is, uh, that's intriguing. And uh, uh, Nevada, by the way, um, just real quick, because I know you're going out there, and it's it's a revenge game. You know, we don't have to fully break down uh, break down the game here, but I did want to mention that you can catch GP uh, on CBS Sports Network. What you need to do is you need to see Duke Virginia at six, and then get that second screen going. CBS Sports Network, New Mexico at Nevada. That's actually the revenge game. Um, we don't have the line yet, and I don't have the the projection in front of me. I'm gonna guess in a revenge game, Jordan Caroline went for 40 and 12 at Colorado State. Kayla Martin had 25 on on uh, what Wednesday night. Nevada continues to look tremendous in my estimation, still undervalued by the metrics. I this has been a top 10 team to me the entire season. I would think that that line is going to be like 25 or 26 points. Maybe I'm a little high on that, but New Mexico's not that good and Nevada is rolling. so GP gets the uh, the glory of going out there and seeing what, what I think might be a murder, um, but anyway, I, it I to, think it's re-
0: going to be an assassination. <laughs> yeah. Like, I like first off, Nevada is just way better than them. Like, when we, um, like that 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 is the most bizarre outcome, perhaps, of this entire college basketball season. January fifth, New Mexico eighty five, uh, Nevada fifty eight, and you so you give Nevada the motivation to like go out and just want to absolutely murder these guys. And also give them home court advantage. I the Kimball projected score is eighty six sixty six. I I think they're going to beat them by twenty five or thirty. I mean, yeah. I, I am already preparing uh, with uh, our play by play and color analysts to have uh, lots of conversations in the second half. The type of conversations you have when a game has kind of gotten out of hand.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's likely. But you know what? Like at least like okay so maybe it might not be a great game but you get you know what like nevada's got final four potential this year gp uh you get to take a trip to reno i know it's not like top 20 destination in in america but this is you mentioned you haven't been to charlottesville i
0: i believe you have never been to reno but i've never been to reno i've obviously been to nevada a bunch like las vegas a bunch never been to reno but i am like genuinely looking forward to it um it's it's gonna be a Pain in the ass to get there. I'll be traveling all day on Friday, but um, you know th- th- they have turned that into a real college basketball environment. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, you know, I've known Muss for a long time since well before he was even a college basketball coach. He was an assistant coach with the Memphis Grizzlies uh, for a little while. I've known his wife Danielle for a long time. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. Looking forward to seeing one of the best basketball teams in the country. Looking forward to being in in that sort of sold out environment. And then they've got the uh, you know, nice gambling establishments as well. I might hit those on Friday night.
1: I would think that might be possible. Real quick, since we'll just, uh, Nevada's, you know, it's pushing for that kind of one seed uh, territory, but it's lacking high-end quality wins. And frankly, Gonzaga has the, has the lead on that. Gonzaga will host St. Mary's once the Nevada game wraps. Uh, and Gonzaga's in the middle of uh, San Francisco, St. Mary's back-to-back. They're both at home. Gonzaga is just Running through the WCC like to an extent where it never has before. It's just blowing all of these teams out. Um, so I'll be I'll be interested to see, and I think we're going to wind up talking about this if the teams don't lose games by the end of the month. Um, if Nevada is just going to just slot right in there into that two seed, no debate, and it's going to clearly be Gonzaga in the one. But uh, but both of those teams at least just deserve a quick mention on the pod with how dominant and awesome they have looked. Like I think it goes beyond their competition. I think if you put Nevada and you put Gonzaga into the Big 12, that both of those teams would be the best team in that league. I I 100% believe that, but because they're in a bad league, like they're out there. They're relevant, Parrish, but because you're not seeing them in high-profile games kind of getting tossed to the side, I say don't discount them. Gonzaga is, I think, still fairly considered uh, a top-five team, but Nevada, top 10. I, I I can't see how you can make an argument otherwise at this stage.
0: It'd be great if they would have scheduled a home-and-home, home, uh, Gonzaga and Nevada, to play it, like, right around now. You know, Memphis and Gonzaga used to do this for – the they had similar goals. You know, uh, Memphis was running through CSA under John Calipari, uh, Gonzaga running through the WCC with Mark, a few, and then they would schedule a game in late January, February – Either in Spokane or in Memphis, just to like test each other, and more than that, honestly, to get back on the national radar. You know, in a high-profile game, playing another ranked opponent. Because uh, the truth is, you know, if you were Memphis back then, Gonzaga back then, Gonzaga right now, or Nevada right now, you don't get a high-profile game once your league schedule starts because the rest of your league is is just grossly inferior to you. But uh, you know, we can't we can't go back and redo the schedules now. I will say this. I don't think Nevada will lose again before Selection Sunday. I do not think Gonzaga will lose again before Selection Sunday. And I think Gonzaga is going to be a one seed, and I think Nevada is going to be a two.
1: Before we get to the next game, what I would serve back to you there is this. Nevada plays in the easier league, but... I think they're more likely because Utah State is developing into a very, very solid team and potentially could have a tournament profile. Whereas Gonzaga, yeah, they got to go to St. Mary's, but I I consider Utah State to be a better team right now. Um, if if we set the over under. On .5 losses before Selection Sunday for both those schools, I would take the over because it's, it's just, it, frankly, that's the smart money in that situation. But it's not out of the question that they can both run the table. And in that scenario, I I believe that Gonzaga would be the one, Nevada would be the two because there'd be so much other, uh, there'd be stronger resumes elsewhere that I think that Nevada would get pump, bumped off the one line. And it would per, prefer to stay the two, I believe, in the West and be shipped as a one elsewhere.
0: Uh, Utah State is, and it's you're you're smart to point that out. Uh, it's a top forty Ken Palm team now. The projected score of Nevada at Utah State, that game's going to be on March second, is is actually just a you know one point Nevada win, 74-73. So yeah, if I I, I personally do not think Nevada is going to lose again, but if you told me here's five thousand dollars, bet it one way or another, Nevada loses a game or doesn't, I'd probably have to bet it on. The you know the, yeah. yes they'll lose one somewhere if only because that is statistically probable even if I think they're going to be a a a one loss team on Selection Sunday. Um, either way, let's move on. We both picked Virginia, right? Yes, both both riding with the who's. All right. So the uh, second game I wanted to get into after we already got into all that other stuff. West Coast. We had a little West Coast excursion in between uh, the list of of games between two top twenty teams. Number fourteen, Villanova is at. A number 10 Marquette on Saturday tip is scheduled for 2.30 Eastern. You can watch it on Fox. So Norlander, I don't know if you noticed, but Villanova on Wednesday night improved to 10-0 in the Big East. And that's 10-0 in the Big East for the first time in school history. This is a school that has three national championship teams. 85, 2016, 2018, none of those teams started 10-0 in in the Big East. So this Villanova team has done something no other Villanova team has ever done. Uh, they're going to go to 11 and 0, or is this where they take their first Big East loss?
1: I'll get to that in just a second. You beat me to the punch. Cause I caught about 15, 20 minutes of inside college basketball on Wednesday night, which you were on, of course on CBS sports network, as I was doing a bottle feed that set came up and I was like, there's no chance. That's true. I was like, I was like, at some point, Villanova, maybe not even in the past four years, just like they didn't have one ten and 0 start, kind of an absurd stat. And here's another one for you, Parrish. How about this? The past 13 games between these teams, Villanova is 12-1. and Like, even if you thought Villanova's gotten over on Marquette more times than not, like, didn't think it was to that much of a level of dominance. So I kind of keep that in mind here as Nova's been rolling and Marquette's coming off the home loss to St. John's. Oh, man, this is going to be interesting. You know, Nova fouls less than any team in the Big East, and Marquette's a top-ten team in, in free throw percentage. I wonder... If two things, one, if that comes into play at all, like will Nova get in more foul trouble than normal? And if it does, like, you know, you got to think Market's is going to hit its foul shots. And then two, we've noted plenty of times. I, honestly, it's been like, I think, four or five times on the podcast in the past six weeks that Villanova has gone back to being just ex- exceedingly three point happy. This was the offense that they set out to do. And they've achieved that they take uh, the second most threes uh, of any team in college basketball to Savannah State, which is on another level. And yet Marquette's the better shooting three-point team, but doesn't take nearly as many. I wonder if Nova wants to bait Marquette into getting into that kind of game where we see like 45 trays jacked in this one. So I'll keep an eye on that. You asked for a prediction. I'll go with Marquette here. I'm really excited about that. Frankly, you know, I'm going to be in Seville like... uh, I think I'll be able to watch this game, but I just don't know where I'm going to be. And, you know, I'll obviously be doing hits on CBS HQ, Sports HQ leading up to that. But I'm eager to watch this game. I'll take the Golden Eagles, and in doing so, uh, muddying up just a little bit of the Big East picture, which, frankly, could could use getting a little bit more dirty, in my opinion. And uh, But also in doing so, that would that would hurt Villanova's Long-term chances, I think, of getting a two seed. Now, it would not knock them out. Don't get me wrong. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they land in advance of this game on the CBS bracket reveal top 16, 12-30 on CBS. Give me Marquette. Let's. I, but tell me you're going to disagree here. I'd like to get some disagreement on the pod.
0: Norlander when you're going to promote something that's on CBS you have to say it's on CBS it's America's most watched network it's America's most awarded network it's the network of stars
1: I didn't want to step on your line there so I was allowing uh, you to come back in with uh, with your tagline
0: so that uh, reveal uh, show it's going to be on CBS what time does it start on Saturday
1: 12:30, and that's the lead-in to Kentucky at Mississippi State at one o'clock on CBS it's America's most watched network it's the network of stars
0: America's most awarded network, awarded network, <laughs> old it, it, old habus. America's most watched network and America's most awarded network, and it's also the network of stars. Yes, yes,
1: that's true. And for and at twelve thirty, by the way, it's going to be the network of Jerry Palm. Shout out to Jerry; he's going to get some uh, some love there and reveal uh, his uh, his seeds beyond the top sixteen that the committee will show.
0: We've got um, someone who works with us at, at CBS Sports Network. Her name's Julie, and she's a Purdue grad, and she's in, she's in studio with us. Um, Basically, every week, right? And, you know, we obviously, when we're on set, we're on set. When we're on camera, we're on camera. But outside of that, we're all sitting in what they call the bullpen and we're all watching games together. We're all eating dinner together. We're all just sort of hanging out, making fun of Brent Stover. And, um, Julie's a Purdue grad and she could, like, not, I mean, she's genuinely fired up for this weekend. <laughs> and if you ask her why, it's because she's going to get to meet Jerry Palm for the first time. <laughs>
1: Jerry, I like it, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone should be that fired up to, to meet JP. I mean...
0: He's like, you know Jerry Palm's coming in studio this weekend, right? I said, yes. You, you, you. She, I, she, I was like, the only thing that could make you happier than Jerry Palm coming in studio this weekend is Robbie Hummel coming in studio <laughs> studio this weekend. She's fired up, so I can't wait to see Jerry Palm on America's Most Watched Network, America's Most Awarded Network, the network of stars. I would like to disagree with you, Norlander, and perhaps I should, given that Marquette, just as we talked about on Tuesday night's late, late, late podcast, you know they they just lost at home to St. John's. They're sixteen and two last eighteen games, two losses to St. John's. I'm not going to pick them to lose at home uh, again. Um, so I, I think it'll be a close game, a fun game. But I'm going to take I'm going to take Marquette in a close game over Villanova. Villanova drops to ten and one in the Big East. Snaps its eleven game winning streak because before it started Big East play, Villanova beat Connecticut. And that came right after a loss at Kansas. So they are 10-0 in the Big East, but ele- they have an 11-game winning streak. I think all of that gets messed up on Saturday. And um, then, like you said, we've got a little bit of a Big East race. But let me just play the other side for a second. If Villanova does go to Milwaukee and win, then they're 11-0 in the Big East. Marquette would drop to 8-3 and in the Big East. Nobody else is above 500 in the Big East. That'd be it. I mean Villanova wins at Marquette, oh, yeah. they're going to like barring they just decide to start forfeiting games, barring something like that, um they're going to win another outright title.
1: It, yes, th- that is that's that's a wrap. 100% if they pull that off, even if Marquette can get a, a revenge win a couple weeks later in Philly, doesn't matter it's done. Like, yes, if that goes down, we are in complete agreement there. Um, I, I'd prefer a little bit of drama. So it, it'd be better for the big East and better for, for coverage in general. If Marquette can make it interesting, we'll see how they, uh, they come back here and and play Nova, which I don't think is by any means due for a loss. Um, they, they had a, they had a weirdly tight game on Wednesday at home against a shorthanded Creighton team that uh, really burned down that game and like, just kept it low scoring and they still got the win, which, which was good. So maybe that, uh, you know, was just a little bit of a flare to the
0: senses and they'll show up ready to play. But we'll both take Marquette. That was uh, my takeaway from the Wednesday night Villanova-Creighton game as well. We had that on our air on CBS Sports Network. So we were watching that, talked about it a lot. Um you know, One way to look at that is, God, was Villanova struggling at home going to overtime against a shorthanded Creighton team like they needed a stop at the end of regulation even get to even get to overtime? But the other side of it is um, they figured out a way to win when they didn't play well. They shot under 40% from the field, below 30% from three-point range. So they have been shooting the ball well um, from beyond the arc. We detailed that on a recent podcast. Um, it was like taking 33 a game and making 41% of them, something like that. But in the past two games, wins over Georgetown and Creighton, they have not shot the ball well at all. So, um, but, so but th- like, It's one of those deals where we might look up on Saturday and go, well, of course Marquette blew them out. They haven't been playing well lately. But uh, I thought that game on Wednesday night against Creighton, that's a game they would have lost early in the season. They didn't know how to win when they didn't play well early in the season, whether it was against Furman, Penn, whatever. Um, if I'm Jay Wright, I'd like to play better. But I kind of do like the the fact that we figured out how to win when we didn't play well. Um, that's what good teams do. Um, nobody plays well all the time. But the good teams, they, they can win when they don't play well. Villanova figured out a way to get a win um, when they didn't play well at Creighton. But they're going to have to play well at Marquette. If they don't play well at Marquette, they'll, they'll lose by double digits. But um, I do think they'll play well, but I do think they lose a close game and we get at least a somewhat interesting uh, Big East race. The third game and last game between two top 20 teams, it is number 19, Wisconsin, at number 7, Michigan. It's at noon Eastern on Saturday. You can watch that on Fox. Wisconsin is on a six-game winning streak. Michigan obviously has an incredible resume. I still have them top five uh, in the top 25 and one one spot ahead of Kentucky and literally every day a Kentucky fan tweets me and tells me how stupid I am for doing that but the truth is and I bet you you'll see this on the reveal show on Saturday the truth is if you compare Michigan's resume to Kentucky's resume it ain't even close like Michigan has had an awesome season but they are just four and two in uh, their past six games. This is a rematch from three weeks ago when Michigan lost 65-54 at the Kohl Center. That was Michigan's first loss of the season. What interests you about this one?
1: The fact that Wisconsin, since it started the winning streak, GP, with the, with the Michigan win, every game since then, it's been 60 points or fewer in all the games it's played. Wisconsin has been operating like a top-five defense in America over that stretch, and they've got a great balance here. It's not just that Ethan Happ is a first-team All-America, in my opinion. Um, he obviously does not shoot threes. He doesn't even shoot mid-range Jays or anything like that. But Wisconsin is a top-ten team in three-point percentage in college basketball. So what you have is this really dynamic big man, frankly, one of the five best players in Wisconsin history, indisputably, who who's great around the rim, knows how to pass it, handles it well, gets his points uh, in a lot of creative ways. And then they've got guys who can hit from deep, uh, Dimitri Trice hit a couple of really uh, needed threes in that road win against Minnesota. But Brad Davison, who is uh, who is developing, uh, frankly, kind of a, a sneaky under-the-radar reputation for being a little bit of a cheap shot artist. Um, he shoots 43% from three. Um, uh, and Charles, I'm looking it up right here. Is there anyone else? I thought they had one more dude. Uh, oh, yeah, Pritzel, of course. Pritzel shoots 40% from deep as well. So that balance is really intriguing. We'll see if it... If it winds up being something necessary in the Michigan game, um, the fact that Michigan is at home, I think we're just bound to, to agree on this pick again. <laughs> unfortunately, um, now Michigan, you know, just won easily at Rutgers on Tuesday, and this that came after a game in which it was just it just didn't play well uh, the previous Friday at Iowa. Um, but I do think that Michigan will win this one, uh, high-profile game. And if Wisconsin were to win it, then you could really enter into the conversation. Like, is Wisconsin now not only the best team in the Big Ten, but uh, needs to be considered as a, like, real Final Four contender? And that's not something that was really out there kind of at all. But if you if you get the season sweep of Michigan, it's it's out there no matter what. That that will be a very real thing if they can get there. But I've got the Wolverines winning. And kind of comfortably, like, I, I, I like them along the lines of, like, I think they'll crack 60 points against Wisconsin at home. So, you know, like 65-59, something like that, but it will be a definitive six-point win.
0: Yeah, I've got Michigan winning, obviously, at home. I'm not going to pick against them. Um, But I will say your point about Wisconsin, and I mentioned this on a podcast earlier this season. I think it was back in November, randomly, I was talking to a Big Ten coach, head coach, and we were just talking about the league. I was picking his brain about this and about that, and he just sort of casually said, "Wisconsin's the best team in our league." And I said, "Really?" Because they weren't like they weren't thought of that way. It was Michigan State. Everybody everybody said Michigan State's the best team in the league, at least in the preseason. And he said, "Wisconsin's the best team in the league." And I said, "Really?" He said, "Oh yeah." And he, and he said, "And it's not even close." And then, of course, Wisconsin. You know they, they lose on a neutral to Virginia, lose at Marquette, lose at Western Kentucky, lose at home to Minnesota. Um, you know they started ten and four, and we weren't even talking about is Minnesota is is Wisconsin best team in the Big Ten, but like are you know how good are they really? I mean gee, they just went to Western Kentucky and lost. Um, but this six game winning streak, um, one two three four five six, yeah, six game winning streak includes wins over Michigan, Nebraska. Maryland on Wednesday night they go to Minnesota and win. Uh, I uh, my point being this, there was a time where I thought that Big 10 head coach was kind of crazy or at least wrong about this very specific thing, but he might end up being right. Like maybe maybe Wisconsin is the, the best team in the league. I don't think it'll ever be, you know, and it's not even close, but I I can envision a scenario where we look up in I don't know, 3 weeks and we go, "Yeah, Wisconsin is the best team in the Big 10."
1: Yeah, that uh That'd be something. It would also really bolster Hap's first-team All-American credentials. I maintain that he is there. um, But, you know... Michigan's not without its really, really good players as well. And want to see uh, if Xavier Simpson also has a particularly strong game. GP, just real quick, we're going to get to Houston, uh, Cincy. Just for, for listeners, though, there's a number of teams this weekend that are in tricky spots. I get the sense that when we talk on Sunday, we might be hitting on a few teams that just took bad losses. Because you have teams uh, that, that are going on the road like Texas I'm not going to say can't lose at West Virginia but you just got a good win against Baylor like don't slip up at West Virginia keep an eye on that things are probably going to get worse for Tim Miles they got to go to Purdue Purdue is Purdue fans think they got a better team than Wisconsin that's another debate maybe we'll have that see if, if Purdue and Wisconsin can both win or not uh, I have heard from Purdue fans I don't know if you have or not Casey Dude, okay every
0: day I have okay. every day <laughs> Purdue fans have turned into the new Kentucky fans <laughs> they they uh like there was a time where Kentucky fans were, like, when they're sitting there two and two, the Wildcats against top one hundred Ken Palm teams. Like Kentucky fans were en- enraged that I had them ranked lower than other people had them ranked, and now they're they're mad again because I've got- <laughs> because I've got them six instead of five. <laughs> that really that, according to Kentucky fans, that is the thing that makes me the biggest idiot in the world. That I have them six instead of five. Behind Michigan instead of ahead of, a Michigan, ahead of Michigan, even though, as I pointed out, Michigan has the, the superior resume, and it's not even close. But now, Purdue fans are the ones that hate me the most as it relates strictly um, to the top 25 and one. I hear from them every day. I hate them. I love Matt Painter. I love Jerry Palm. I love Julie at the office back at CBS Sports Network, but Purdue fans are um, – they're driving me nuts.
1: Well, I, Purdue fans, your moment is coming on the podcast. I, I, a home win over Nebraska might not uh, necessitate uh, discussion, but you do have a very intriguing team that's been uh, beloved by the metrics most of the season, and your time is is certainly coming. K-State plays at Baylor. If Baylor wins that at home, then the Big 12, the top of the race, just it just gets that much more interesting. If K-State wins, it's really creating a nice cushion of separation. Keep an eye on that. I did a thing on the court report, GP, on Wednesday. North Carolina State's RP, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It's It's insane. Their disparity between their net ranking and their RPI ranking is. By far the biggest of any top 50 net team. And to the point where, like, I'm talking like their RPA is like 125 or something, and saying like that. Like, if we didn't have the net and we had the RPI, I don't think NC State would be discussed as the NCAA tournament team that it is right now. They play at Pitt. Um, They're going to be on the wrong side of the bubble, in my estimation, if they lose that game. Uh, Washington fans, we hear you. Let's just see what happens at Arizona State. We understand, and GP's going to break them into the rankings. That's a game on Saturday late. Can you get a win? in Tempe that would be uh, that would be huge and then just Louisville Virginia Tech Auburn all on the road um, I don't think all three of those teams are going to win um, and Auburn's trying to like keep even with LSU so there's other interesting stuff but it's kind of floating off the radar I just happen to think GP when we talk on Sunday we're gonna have a, a bevy of, of interesting results and we'll get good movement after we get this bracket reveal on Saturday afternoon
0: yeah, just in the spirit of the transparency, um, we're recording this as you pointed out on Thursday night while Washington Arizona is while they're playing, like it's on television in front of me right now. Washington at this moment is up thirty six thirty. We do not know how that's going to end, but um, I do think if Washington is able to to sweep the Arizona schools on the road this weekend, they will not only break into the top twenty five and one, but they'll break in. Um, to the AP poll and the coaches poll on Monday. I do a weekly spot in Seattle with Ian Finesse, and we so we talk a lot about Washington every week. And the truth is, if somebody wanted to rank Washington last week or right now, it's fine with me. They're, I believe, 18 and 4. Let me double check that. They are. Yeah, okay. So they're 18 and 4. And really, no bad losses. The losses are at Auburn, neutral to Minnesota. You can argue that's bad if you want, but I think Minnesota's a quality basketball team. At Gonzaga by a bucket, no no shame there. And then a neutral to Virginia Tech. So they're 18-4, no bad losses. The problem for Washington is that, and it's not their fault. It's the Pac-12's fault. But the problem for Washington is they've, they've got no great wins. I mean, there's not a single win to date over a top 50 Ken Palm team. And they do not play a top 50 Kinpom team the rest of this season. And the reason is because they're the only top 50 Kinpom team in the Pac 12. <laughs> um, now, at some point, like if they're 20 and 4 coming off road wins at Arizona and Arizona State, then there's going to be a spot for them. But if I were to put them in the top 25 and 1 right now, and feel free to double check this if you want listening at home, I believe they would be the only team in the top 25 and 1. That does not have a victory over a top fifty can team.
1: Yeah, that's that's brutal. And by the way, like you mentioned, that it's not only that bad, but on Thursday night, Arizona State lost at home to Washington State. Like, <laughs> would honest, honestly, I would love to incorporate more teams and talk, but the Pac-12, like the only thing we can say about it is it's atrocious. Like that is that is. I, I won't even say almost. Like, Paris, Arizona State does not have a valid NCAA tournament profile at this moment when you even consider that its best win was at home against a Kansas team that's floundering. And so what you get here is not just your top 50 mark. Get this. Like, if Washington goes on to win this game at Arizona... There are no top sixty teams in the net aside from Washington. Arizona State entering Thursday was sixty one and it is sure to plummet. And then Arizona was the next one at sixty four and with the home loss to Washington will drop even further. Probably won't have any in the top seventy. So Washington is in a really tough spot. It's almost it's it's almost like it's it's Gonzaga in like a bad year kind of deal. Like not just like the WCC but like just you know Gonzaga doesn't have like one of his better teams that's what Washington finds itself right now and frankly the Pac-12 it, it, it's as a conference it needs to start rooting for Washington to not win the auto bid because it is definitely real one bid pac 12 I, I'm not saying it's more likely than not at this point but that is a real true possibility here so just keep that in mind as we go forward the, the league's just terrible Cal might be California has the worst raw points-per-possession-allowed defense in college basketball, worse than Chicago State, worse than all the MIAC and SWAC teams, worse than all of that. It might wind up as the worst power conference team in the history of Ken Palm. It is a disaster that was going on in the Pac-12 right now, and I think you got to have significant turnover, not just with coaching stuff. we got to get to Arizona here before we get out of here, for sure. But, like, schools, ADs, I think they just got to have a, a, a come-to-Jesus moment because this is – it was bad leading into it, and then the league hasn't really done much in terms of having things break the right way to really up the uh up their resume and reputation whatsoever.
0: If you're looking for a bright spot, um USC, Arizona, and Oregon all have like top ten recruiting classes on the way. So it should get better, but it's a, it's a disaster. Um right now. And I think we're gonna continue to push. Two bid southern, one bid pack twelve. Yeah, I'm in that yes. two bid southern, hashtag one bid pack twelve because I don't know if you saw it. I know you saw it. Of course. Go ahead. You're no, w- Let people w- know. Yep, yeah, That's right. Yep, yep. Wofford won. Wofford Terriers went to uh, Johnson City and beat East Tennessee State in overtime. So when we look up, like, that's a good win. That's a quad one win for Wofford. <laughs> It
1: absolutely is. It's uh, it's incredible. It really is incredible to see what they're doing. And like, no joke, it, like Wofford, It's not just like, oh, this is great. It's a nice little mid-major team. No, they are in the thick of the at-large picture at this point. I think they've got insurance to lose one, maybe even two games. Not just because of their net rating, but because of frankly, what how they're able to build. They they have no bad losses. All the losses are good. And now you know three quad one wins, another three in quad two. Um, I, I yeah that's... I, the SoCon has the potential to get two, but again, it, it needs um, maybe East Tennessee. UNC Greensboro, by the way, has the best – it has the fewest losses, only has three losses in that league, and then Furman's got the big win, so we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. I'll do a SoCon segment every single podcast, my man. <laughs> but, yes, two bids is very much on the table.
0: We usually stay – like, the way this podcast goes is that I – with I, I asked Norlander, I, I accept his advice and I request his advice, but I basically put a strip, uh, script together and then we follow it. We have obviously not done that at all on this podcast. We've been all over the place. So since we're already all over the place, let me ask you this, because you mentioned Wofford's net ranking, which is already top 30. And when it updates tomorrow morning, it, it should be better coming off a road win at ETSU. I had a coach um, ask me this the other day. He said, do you think the selection committee – because you said Wofford's very much in the at-large conversation and not just because they're net ranking. This coach asked me, he said, do you think the selection committee is going to really lean on the net ranking as a way to um, legitimize the net ranking? In other words, if they create this algorithm that throws Wofford in the top 30 – and then they leave Wofford out, if Wofford needs an at-large, it's like, well, then your algorithm sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, like, your algorithm says it's a top-30 team. You say it's not. So, like, your algorithm needs to be fixed. Because if you don't think Wofford belongs in the tournament, by definition, that means your algorithm's not any good. And I told him I I could 100% see that. That they, to to legitimize the ranking, you lean on it more heavily than you would have in any other year, uh, leading up to this year. And I think that's a, I, I would assume that's a, that's great news for Wofford and anybody else with a very good net ranking.
1: I think so, too. And I had a Q&A go up with the selection committee chair, Bernard Muir, who's the the AD at Stanford. Uh, and I, I asked a question similar to that. You know, are you prioritizing the net more than the other metrics that are on the team sheets? Ken Palm, Sagarin, BPI, KPI, strength of record and gave me, uh, frankly, maybe an accurate answer, but also a political answer in saying there is no one preference over the other. It just happens to be that the net is the primary. Uh, sorting tool is the buzz phrase yet again this season. It's going to be all over. Like, 100% you're going to see it on the selection uh, bracket reveal on Saturday, and that's fine, but I'm sorry. I, 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 Until I see evidence otherwise, I don't believe that. One, because it's, a, it's the new toy. It's going to get more attention, and the committee... And the NCAA are not uh, blind or deaf to the fact that there has been increasing scrutiny on inclusion of mid-majors that are worthy of getting in in at-large seasons, and then it, then they don't, and then even some seeding issues as well. So it's not just Wofford, by the way. You know, Lipscomb's knocking on the door of being a top-30 team out of the A-Sun. They haven't lost a league game yet, and it's because they've been... Good, but also they've they've gotten a lot of uh, really convincing wins that it's helped them. I mentioned Utah State. That's a top 40 team, and that's another example of where we might see if Utah State can get a win over Nevada, they might be included. You could have some mids benefit. Belmont might be another. If Murray State gets a hashbat, hashtag two-bid OVC situation going because Murray State, it doesn't have any quad one wins. It'll need the auto bid despite having a good record, and we want to see John Morant in the tournament. Belmont, though, is kind of pushing up. It might also have a case there, so I'm very much keeping an eye on it because it will be, frankly, a, a bit of a PR... I'm not going to say disaster because, frankly, it, it wouldn't be that, but it would be a bad look if we get to the bracket and we just we happen to see two or three teams going to Dayton that are you know near the bottom of the leagues and we'll just whether it's Wafford or if it's Utah State or if it's Belmont or if, frankly Liberty is practically a top 50 team like if it's one of those teams and they're just not there it's going to um uh, it's going to bring on criticism but what it will also do I have to acknowledge this Parrish, it would also validate the committee's talking point that it's not emphasizing the net over any other uh, it's just a matter of what approach they want to take but i think that they can't help but be at least unintentionally influenced by the shiny new ranking they have this year
0: I think they have to be. I mean, otherwise, it's just they make it too easy for the people. You know, people are preconditioned to just bash them anyway. Um, But you make it very easy. If you create an algorithm, put all this time, all this money into it, and then on Selection Sunday, when you wake up, it's got Buffalo at 19. Like, think about this. Buffalo doesn't win the MAC tournament. Wofford doesn't win the Southern Conference tournament. Lipskin doesn't win the Atlantic Sun tournament. But they're all top 30 net teams. What are you going to do? If you leak them out, then then all it does is set people up to go a you're being unfair, and b e, e, your algorithm sucks.
1: Yeah. If 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 this is still showing you that they are of top thirty quality and you're still not putting them in, then you need to completely you know blow up the committee process in general. I don't. I hope we don't get to that point, but uh, but we'll wait. We'll wait and see with that.
0: Um, One last game to get to. You mentioned it earlier. It is uh, on Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern tip. It's going to be number 25, Cincinnati at number 12, Houston. Cincinnati and Houston uh, both won on the road on Thursday night, Cincinnati at UCF. I believe it was convincingly.
1: Yeah, it was the game. Yes, I would say it was another strong, convincing Houston win, elite defensive team. And uh, if it's, yes, and I'm in. I think I drive the Houston bus, by the way. I think that is a top 10 team. I've thought that for about two, three weeks now. It continues to win. Uh, Perhaps it'll get more wide. Spread respect if it can win in kind of a like it's the biggest game by far on Sunday. We'll see, but that's this is just uh, you know worth bringing up because they're both ranked, but two huge uh, American Athletic Conference programs that are vying for respectable seeds. Uh, Cincinnati, if it can win this one at home, it, it would do itself a lot of good here because uh, it took a long time to get into the rankings because frankly the the opponents it had beat and it's relatively uh, weak strength of schedule versus what we've seen in C- with Cincinnati in some recent years.
0: So it was Houston winning at UCF 77-68 on Thursday night. Cincinnati was at Memphis down at the half, uh, down in the second half. They go on like 11-12-0 run late, and uh, they get out of there with a five-point victory. The final score was 69-64. And so now you get a Houston team that's 9-1 and in the AAC against a Cincinnati team that's 9-1 and in the AAC. The game is going to be played at Houston. So it is Cincinnati at Houston. Mm. You taking the home team? I'm sure you are, right? You're I am. Sorry,
1: big... I, I thought uh, I had it in my notes here. Houston dash Cincinnati. So I thought Cincinnati had the home floor. No, I got to take Houston uh, yeah. in that in that spot. And if Cincinnati won, then that that'd be a that'd be a hell of a thing. I'm I'm keeping an eye. I'm taking Houston. I'm presuming you will as well. Houston ranked seventh in the net as of Thursday. Frankly. um I'm not going to get too into this now cuz I know I'll repeat myself I do it every year. Uh lack of losses has to mean something. And if Houston can get to a point where it's like 24 and 1, 25 and 1, I'm sorry. Like it's got to be considered a one seed or just borderline right there with Gonzaga, Nevada, the winner of Virginia, Duke, Tennessee. It's it's got to be up there and just because of its conference affiliation, just the way that Nevada and Gonzaga necessarily won't be held back, we shouldn't hold back Houston either at this point. Um it will If it beats Cincinnati, it'll be, I believe, uh, 4-1, 5-1 in quad one games and undefeated with like eight opportunities in quad two. So it's I don't think it's going to get a one, GP. Don't get me wrong. But that would be just a hell of a story if we look up in mid-February and the Houston Cougars, who were not expected to be this good or anywhere even close to it after losing a player of the caliber of Rob Gray last season. You look up and it's just kind of it's crazy what Kelvin Sampson has been able to do. Very intriguing game on Sunday.
0: I've got Houston in the top 10 of the top 25 and one because this is something you and I agree on. Losses have to matter. Lack of losses have to matter. Um, 90% of the tweets I get from people about the top 25 and one are just dumb. But then another 5% are people who only focus on wins. They'll say, we beat this team, this team, this team, and this team. Why don't you have us wherever? And... The answer, I, I, I almost always ignore it unless I can just end the conversation with one tweet because I've just decided a long time ago I'm not going to debate people about rankings on Twitter back and forth, you know, however many characters at a time. Um, but the answer is almost always, well, you, what about your losses? Like, Let's not just focus on your wins. Let's focus on your losses. Like, Your losses have to matter. And Houston's got one loss, and it was a block charge situation in the final seconds. And if a official, and I think he got the call right, like I think it was a charge, but if he had called it a block, it would have been a three-point play, and Houston would have won that game. They'd be sitting here right now 23-0. and As it is, they're and 22-1. And I know that they don't have these big signature wins, like they haven't gone out and beaten Duke or Virginia or Gonzaga or Tennessee because they haven't played them. But they do have a, a win over LSU. And, you know, winning at UCF, Okay, so that's not going to move the needle for most people, but that's a, a, a win. That's a Quadrant One win. It is, yes. And, and good teams lose games like that all the time. And so I know that it's not like a win over a top-ten team that's going to you know put you on the lead of SportsCenter, but never losing those types of games, that's not something most teams in this country are able to do. Unless they're legitimate, like top five, top ten teams, and that's why I think Houston, you can reasonably call it uh, a, a legitimate top ten, top ten team. Yeah,
1: no, they are, They are, and if. You know, if you love the pod so much to stick around, uh, nearing the hour mark here, and you just haven't seen Houston yet or much of Cincinnati, I do watch. Jerome Cumberland for Cincinnati uh, has just been a fantastic player as well this season. We'll see how he goes against, uh, frankly, just a just a stud of a defensive team. Um, that that's a good one to keep an eye on, and one of the four best games of the weekend, no question.
0: All right, real quick before we get out of here, um, news uh, from the past couple of days: Arizona has quote initiated the process to terminate men's basketball assistant coach Mark Phelps while suspending him indefinitely, uh, the school said in a statement on Wednesday. This is tied to um, some online coursework, fraudulent online coursework, um, done for Sharif O'Neill when he was committed to Arizona. After the FBI stuff came out, uh, Sharif O'Neill decommitted from Arizona, subsequently committed to UCLA, and he is redshirting the season because they found a heart ailment. He had heart surgery um, you know, in, in recent months. He's expected to resume a basketball career at some point, but he's not playing right now. Um, either way, it's like not a good look for Arizona, even if Arizona made it clear that this is not tied to the federal investigation in any way. But what is true is this. Um, Arizona has a basketball program that is uh, run by Sean Miller and has been run at a at a successful level, consistently by Sean Miller. Um, But now three of his assistants have been tied to serious NCAA allegations. And two of them have been fired. Book Richardson fired, charged with crimes. Um, Mark Phelps is in the process of being fired. And Joe Pasternak, the former assistant, again, has never been charged with anything. But has been accused of major rules violations, or at least agreeing to um, to commit major rules violations. Like that's uh, that's tough, right? I mean, there, there's you know, you and I both know Sean. We both like Sean, but it, it, it's not a great look.
1: Uh, yes, it's it's not. There's a lot of stuff happening at Arizona right now. Um, you know, NCAA investigation underway. You've got, uh, from what I understand, you know. I, I, uh, split factions among like what the school should do going forward. If it's sustainable to stick with Miller, uh, a lot of factors will go into that. Um, we don't know the timeline on when an SW investigation will not, not just even wrap, but like notice of allegation stuff that go public first. Like there's a whole process we have to get through with that. And then Phelps who by the way was suspended for like five days after the FBI stuff came out at the start of last season having to do with uh, a rules violation regarding a different Arizona player. So I don't know if like that was the first thing, don't do anything again. Then they discovered this and it's just multiple issues. Or if it's just whatever had to do with O'Neal, who is now out this season at UCLA because he had heart surgery, by the way. Um, Regardless, it it doesn't reflect well on Miller whatsoever at all. Uh, Three assistants, differing circumstances, but things have gotten interesting and are, are perhaps a bit accelerated with Arizona at this point. Uh, <laughs> I asked Goodman, our, our buddy Jeff Goodman, I, I, do a, um, I, do, I do a radio show every Thursday, an online radio show with IMG and College Sports Now, and I had him on. Goodman graduated from Arizona, and I think actually the Arizona fan base hates him more, like, more than any other. <laughs> he went to school there, but that's Goodman for you. But I said, you know what, Like I know this is an easy question to answer. There are more details, but I'm just going to ask like just yes or no. When we start next season, will Sean Miller be coaching the Arizona Wildcats? And he said, well, first of all, I didn't think there was any chance he was going to return after what we went through almost a year ago last season with all that stuff. Uh, but he said no. And from where we sit right now, I agree with him. I think... Um, the looming threat of an NCAA investigation. Uh, Yahoo Sports has reported that if and when, even though the coaches have pled guilty to the third trial, uh, you have not had Merle Code and Christian Dawkins plead guilty to that second trial. And Christian Dawkins' lawyer does not intend to do that. And what could happen, this is per Yahoo Sports reporting, like Sean Miller could get called to the stand in New York this year. And... Like No matter what he says, like they, you, as a university, when you are dealing with Board of Regents and Presidents, you do not want your coach in the headlines for having to have to fly to New York, speak on the stand, potentially have damning tapes or just uncomfortable tapes played. You factor all that in. With lack, Frankly, I don't see how Sean Miller in Arizona don't get hit with a lack of institutional control charge. That's a major charge. When you can clearly point to three assistants being under this parish, so with all that in mind... Like I, I, I lean more no than yes I don't think that he will be coaching Arizona At the start of next season
0: I lean more no than yes as well Because once the NCAA launches an investigation Particularly into a school That I mean we joked about it As the federal trial was unfolding Like every time there was a text message exchange Every time there was a wiretap Every time something was um, Admitted in court Or maybe just introduced in court But not admitted and perhaps I'm getting my uh, my phrases uh, confused, but like it was like Arizona, at least the perception among these people who were selling players, the perception was Arizona was in willing to buy everybody. Like Brian Bowen, yeah, they'll do it. Uh, Javon Quinterly, yeah, they'll get it. Arizona's in for 50. Arizona will do this. Um, You know, Larnell, for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, like he's DeAndre Aiden's body. Got however much money it was. Yeah. And so... There's a lot of stuff allegedly there, and when the NCAA launches an investigation into that, they ain't gonna find nothing. And when you've got assistants seemingly running wild, um, that's a problem. And then, God forbid, you get called on a stand, you got to testify under oath. There ain't. I, I'll, I'll just say this: I don't think there's a a coach in the country who consistently secures commitments from five star players. Who wants to have to testify under oath? It's why back when, I don't know if you remember this, when Anthony Davis was in high school, the Chicago Sun-Times wrote a story, like basically saying the father was paid to get him to go to Kentucky. It was it was a weird story and yeah. poorly sourced and uh, not written well, and it never went anywhere. Like it didn't say where the money came from or who paid whom. It was just like Anthony Davis' father paid so that Anthony Davis would go to Kentucky. And – Um, almost immediately, Anthony Davis' father was like, quoted, I'm going to sue the Chicago Sun-Times. And one of the things I said back then was, um, he's not going to sue the Chicago Sun-Times. Because the last thing anybody connected to Nike or Kentucky, and I'm not uh, not alleging anything went on. I'm just telling you the truth. The last thing anybody at Nike or Kentucky wants is an actual lawsuit where... Nike officials, Kentucky coaches, anybody else connected to it has to testify under oath because your answers might not job with, uh, with, with, you know, if you are going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, um, you could end up in a bad spot. Yeah. And, of course, you know, the, the, needless to say, they never sued the Chicago sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was just never going to happen. You're not going to put your – you're not going to make yourself vulnerable in that way. And it, my point being, like, the last thing you want, if you're Sean Miller, is to have to testify under oath because you can. And I'm not saying Sean's lie. Sean's lie. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you can lie to reporters. You can lie to your bosses. You lie under oath. You in you in a bad place. And uh, I don't think you. I don't think Sean or anybody else who has been dealing with the stuff he's been dealing with uh, wants to be put in that situation.
1: Yeah. Last thing for me on this, and we can get out of here. Um, it doesn't help Miller's case that. Book Richardson pleaded guilty because he is admitting not just to like breaking what has been deemed to be federal law with all this stuff, but running afoul of his boss. It, again, you were not able to contain your assistance. Uh, it, there's, it's it, there. Are, there are bad rulings I, coming Arizona's way. I don't see how there's not, frankly, and it, and if there's not, then. The NCAA, for as much as it can be treated like a pinata, like I mean, I just don't see how they're not going to go after them. When we see what's happened to the players, you know, to, to reset reset, we talked about in a couple podcasts ago with D'Souza. I just I just think that's an inevitability, and now just is a matter of. Um, when that kind of stuff might happen. Um, you know, Arizona has these executive boards that are meeting, discussing the future and, and possible tactics. I don't know if that uh, has, you know, accelerates any kind of timeline with Miller or not. Um, not Frankly, he's a hell of a coach. And Arizona, when it's better, like, it's not just better for the league, but better for college basketball. Like, not rooting for Sean Miller to lose his job or anything like that. But I, don't, I just think there's just, with what we see here, three assistants – NCAA formal investigation underway. A lot of noise around it. They're going to weigh the weigh the pros and the cons. They're probably going to weigh about how much they have to to pay him. What legal stuff will follow? Hey, okay. maybe he gets out of it. Maybe he does. But I, if you are making me say one way, I gotta say no or yes. I I just lean more no than yes that he is coaching uh, in Tucson at the start
0: of next season. This podcast went way longer than I anticipated.
1: I know, Parrish, I, but you know what? Like, I hope the listeners. Do enjoy this because I didn't think we'd go more than like thirty-five or forty. It did go long. I still got to finish packing. I'm guessing you got to finish packing. I think we still are married. I I, I think. I
0: have to to start packing. Uh, My poor wife just ain't She just downstairs. I guess I don't know what she's doing. (laughs) But like I I, like I really walk out of my door again tomorrow morning at five thirty. Yeah, it's. I got home. I got home at six thirty p.m. and I'm walking. Out of my door again at 5:30 a.m.
1: You talk to me more than your wife. I don't. I don't know if that's an exaggeration. No, it's not. An like,
0: it, I like on average we go about 45 minutes three times a week. That's more face to face time than I've gotten with my wife, and certainly in the past week. Certainly. I saw him for about 10 minutes earlier. All right. Let's let's let's
1: wrap this. We're going to talk Sunday. Uh, I'll be in Chapel Hill for, uh, in advance of Virginia, UNC. You'll be back home. Listeners. For, back home for like 12 hours. So, uh, squeezing the time as best you can. <laughs> Hope everyone enjoyed uh, what was uh, a shirt. Uh, you know what, though? I like when we go off the beaten path every now and then, and I, I think that uh, that our listeners do as well.
0: Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. He could be in a federal trial any day now. <laughs> Remember uh, to go subscribe to the college on uh, College Basketball Podcast over at uh, Apple Podcasts if you haven't done that yet. If you have done it, thank you sincerely. Uh, it means a lot. Our bosses notice, and it, it helps it, you know, show up when people are searching for uh, podcasts that are connected to, to college sports. You know, we are, after every episode – Uh, right there at the top if not number one certainly in the top two usually number one it's the most listened to podcast uh college basketball podcast in the country you guys have have helped us turn it into that so thank you um if you've already subscribed if you haven't please go do so uh rate it five stars leave a nice comment i'll owe you forever i'll even like it to the best of my ability and like norland said we're gonna talk to you again on sunday night till
2: then take care